Your Locked On Canadiens, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone and welcome to a special episode 267 of Locked On Canadians. Today's episode is super fun because I'm hosting it, but we're actually going to be talking about Scott Matla's expertise. My name is Laura Saba, also known as the Active Stick, and I'm joined as always by actual prospect expert Scott Matla of Habs Eyes on the Prize. Scott, how are you doing today? Given who guest is today like I feel like that's a bit disingenuous to what I know because I just base everything that I say on the internet off of what smarter people think so <laughs> I, I'm going to uh hand over my uh not self-given title to our guest today in that regard so what does that say about me because I base all everything I think on what you tell me <laughs> great minds so, think alike speaking of great minds we are so excited to have ESPN writer whose specialty is prospects. Chris Peters is joining us today. Chris, how are you? I am doing well. That was that was a really nice flowing intro. I dig that. That was a nice roundabout way. That's one of my the more creative intros I've heard. So I, I appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I was going to say, after 267 episodes, Laura and I have figured out how to get an introduction down with guests on the show. We are making great progress in the podcasting world. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm digging the chemistry. I feel I'm, we're flowing today. I like it. And I'm so, so excited to ask you so many questions. I think what we should start with is, first of all, what are the kind of things that you write about? Like, I've been familiar with your work basically since I joined Hockey Twitter, but maybe tell the people who might not be as familiar with you. Yeah, well, you know, I've kind of had like a, a really strange roundabout career in terms of writing in different places. I mean, right now, you know, if you if you follow my work on ESPN.com, um, it's all been, you know, draft prospects, drafted prospects, college hockey. Um, you know, and that's, that's always been kind of, you know, the core of that, that coverage. But, you know, I've really come up through, you know, junior hockey and, and, uh, U.S. national teams. I, you know, I previously worked at USA Hockey. So, you know, I had my own blog called the United States of Hockey back in the day, which was primarily focused on U.S. national teams, U.S. prospects. And, um, you know, I just basically just, I started that because I, I felt like there was a gap and, uh, in coverage of the world juniors and things like that from an American perspective. And, and like that's kind of how I carved out my own little niche in, in hockey Twitter and hockey blogs and everything else. And, you know, it's just been a, a really winding road. Uh, covered the NHL at times as well. And now, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> technically back on the market. So, you know, like, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens next for me. But I mean, really, my, my main focus has always come back to prospects and, players outside of the NHL and particularly college hockey. So um, those are, those have been, I guess, the areas of expertise to just that I've grown over the years. And, you know, I love the NHL. It's such a, it's such a fun league to cover, but I really like the leagues outside of the NHL and, 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 and informing people about things I, that I think they should know about and be prepared for when the NHL is, when these guys get to the NHL. And that's something that we've definitely tried to focus a little bit on during our show's run. Like we've been around for, a little over a year, a year and a few months, actually. Time kind of flies. And one of the things that we do talk about, because we are a, a daily show, right now we're three days a week during the off season. 
but we're five days a week. And so we don't just want to tell people what's going on during the games. We want to talk about what they can expect and who they can get excited about. But one of the biggest things right now is that a lot of stuff is in question. College hockey, there was a lot of will it, won't it, will it, won't it. And then now certain conferences uh, have changed their schedules. Some games are not happening until like next year. All of a sudden we had we had like one team that we could watch with with a couple of prospects on it. And then now they also have positive cases and now they're also not playing for at least this week. So I guess let's start. We'll get into the specifics of college players and then what to expect with the World Juniors a little later in the show. So I guess let's really quickly. Uh, I guess <laughs> let me ask this question. The, the first question that I have is, will the World Junior Ch- Hockey Championships actually take place this year? Oh, wow. That's such a, a <laughs> tough question to answer. But but it's an important question. I And, and I, I always, you know, it, it's hard. I don't want to kind of be an alarmist and, and, and be pessimistic about it. But I, I think that we're in a really crucial week for whether or not that will happen. Camps have opened. And as of today, um, or I guess, you know, as of December 7th, as long as everybody's got their camps and everybody's in their camps, those players are the pool that each country can depend on to bring to the tournament. Now, they have to test negative three times in that time, in that time span between now and December 13th before they're allowed entry into Canada. And any positive tests at this point forward will eliminate those players from competition. Sweden has had to replace three or had, replace two players and couldn't replace a third that was out. The U.S. had to replace three players, um, all from Boston University. They, you know, they had positive cases within their their camp. And even though the players that, to my knowledge, are not positive, they were close enough of a contact. So. So there's a lot of different moving parts to this and, and we're in this crucial week now. If we don't get through this week with, you know, teams kind of all of a sudden are, are losing players and then they don't have enough to travel to Canada, I think we're in a real tough spot there. I don't know exactly, you know, if there's a minimum number of teams they would be willing to hold the world juniors with, if there is, um, you know, what the minimum number of players are. Like a lot of it, it hasn't necessarily been out there. It's something I'm trying to figure out myself. So I'm cautiously optimistic because I think Hockey Canada and the IHF have so much riding on this tournament that they're going to do it. I don't necessarily know if it's the best idea. And, and, and we're, you know, I, but I certainly hope it happens and I hope it happens in a way where it's safe for everybody. I think we're all kind of in that in that boat in that we know that it probably shouldn't happen, but that's not the way the business works. That's not the way the sport works. That's not the way life works. And so we want to see it, but we want to see it safe. What I want to talk about is college hockey. First, we'll talk about what's been going on there. And then we'll single out a couple of prospects to ask you about, because I'm really excited about this. And that's coming up in just a moment. But first, I want to remind everybody that if you are ever in a situation where you're working, you're working out, you're parenting and you hit a wall, what you need is BuiltGo. BuiltGo is an energy gel made by our favorite sponsor, Built Bar, and it's got all you need to break through your wall. It's got protein, collagen protein, which is easy to digest, but it's also good for your hair, your skin, your nails, and it's got that little boost you need. It's got three delicious flavors, chocolate mint, chocolate coconut, and peanut butter and honey, which is this podcast's official favorite. And you guys can try the energy gel, break through your wall, if you go to BuiltGo.com, and enter promo code LOCKED to get 20% off your first order. Let's go break through your wall. Coming up on Friday, it is our weekly mailbag as always, so please do not forget to send us your questions. You can email them at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com 
or tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. And don't forget to tune in on Friday so that you can listen to us answer your questions about anything. Hockey, hockey prospects, the Habs, hockey history, life, food, or if you're our nemesis and you want to ask us a really annoying question. And that's Friday. So college hockey, for me, has never been an area of my expertise. I kind of just kind of defer to what's going on and what other people are talking about. And I have kind of an awareness of it. But I remember that over the summer, trying to follow whether it was going to happen and what the modifications were going to be, we're all kind of up in the air. And now you're seeing a lot of cases at universities, a lot of games being postponed, a lot of seasons being postponed. So I guess my question there is, like, what do we do if if we want to learn about the prospects that are playing in college right now? Yeah, well, it is a moving target. And I mean, you know, the University of Wisconsin, where I know, you know, two Habs prospects play, had played 10 games, which is the most of any team so far in college hockey. And they just had their last series of the first half uh, postponed because of a positive case. So they, and that's actually the first Big Ten games that have been postponed. The Big Ten conference, you know, like the, there, there are so many different college hockey conferences. You know, right now the, the, the NCHC, which has like Minnesota Duluth and, and North Dakota and Denver, teams like that. They're in a pod in Omaha for the next three weeks. And that started this weekend. So far, so good. They haven't had any positive tests. We're, we're knocking on wood for that. And, and also, you know, the games have been pretty good. And so each team is expected to play upwards of 10 games of their season in this pod environment before leaving um, at the end of three weeks. And so those are the types of things that college hockey has had to do. Now, that's the only conference that decided to go the pod route. Hockey East, as we've seen, where you've got teams like Northeastern and, and Boston College and Boston University. Boston University has not played and may not play until mid-January. Boston College has played four games so far. It's all over the map. Northeastern has not played and will not play for for a, a few more weeks. You know, so there are all these different things that you kind of have to to just kind of understand and track. And um, everybody's doing the best that they possibly can. But the NCAA has set forth, you know, as strict a protocols as they possibly can in terms of it's to both allow games to happen and also do their best to keep the players safe. But we knew that, that we would not have any zero, you know, any positive cases in college hockey was going to be an impossibility. It's just the way things are right now. And, you know, certainly wish it was in a better situation. And, you know, I think that the fact that, you know, all these leagues decided to come back when the, the virus has really peaked once again, you kind of question whether that was the best idea or not. But, you know, I think we've seen a lot of teams able to successfully play games. Now, I think that we're we're more optimistic for the second half of the season. All the students will go home, probably. Um, we expect that, you know, they'll come back and, and then hopefully everything will go OK. But we don't really know. So there's a lot of moving parts, but you just kind of have to, you know, a lot of the games have happened. And it's been nice to see, you know, some of the games have aired in Canada. We've had more games on TV in the U.S. than I can ever remember because it's the only hockey being played. So, yeah, so you just kind of have to, it's, it's a moving target and you just kind of look up, you know, college hockey news, U.S. college hockey online. Those are places where you can find schedules and things like that that'll help you kind of know what games are coming, what are postponed, all those other things. It's amazing to me, too, that across, like, like you said, you know, the one uh, conference is doing pods in that. You know, we've seen with the NHL, like, there's likely going to be an all-Canada division, that there wasn't some kind of agreement to do pods for all these teams. But I guess it's more difficult when you look at, you know, some of these conferences where there's so much distance between schools. But the fact that they're doing one in the one conference right now, it's, 
was it ever an option to actually do that for every team? So, like, we've had Arizona State, like, traveling to, you know, play Big Ten games. There had to be some way to, like, at least try to mitigate this, or is that just kind of wishful thinking? Uh, you know, I think it is, a, it is a little wishful thinking. I mean, one of the issues that, you know, you have is that college hockey is mostly, with the exception of the Big Ten, all of their conferences are 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 part of, you know, they're not part of the larger conferences like that, that govern football and basketball and things like that. So it's really, that, that means that's a whole different set of finances that come into play. It's a whole different set of TV rights and all these other things. You know, the NCHC managed to put together this pod because, you know, they, they felt it was the only way possible because they are the most geographically spread out conference with the exception of the WCHA which just would simply not have the funds to put on this kind of pod situation. Um, you know, they, they felt that their member schools were able to handle the financial aspects of it. Um, it it's, it's, it's a really tricky thing to do. The amount of tests that you need, you need to have the right city. You need to have the right local health guidelines. The fact that the NCHC had so many schools in areas where, and this, I mean, it sounds kind of bad that it's this way, but like, areas where there were less stringent restrictions in the states like Nebraska, like North Dakota, you know, those are places where, where, where the, the local governments haven't been as strict and we're, we're seeing that that's also causing plenty of cases, but they knew that if they could get the teams into the pod environment, it, you know, getting them there is, ha- is, is the most important thing. Once they're in there, you can reasonably can control the environment. So it's a long way of me saying like, it wasn't really realistic for everybody um, and especially like you look at the ECAC, Harvard, Cornell, um, and all the Ivy League schools like that all had their seasons wiped out. So that wipes out more than half of the ECAC conference um, or about half the ECAC conference. And they had two other teams drop out. So they're down to four teams in that conference. So that's the other thing is that you're constantly having these teams opting out of the season and all this other stuff. I mean, it's, this, is gonna, this whole thing is going to have a huge impact on college hockey for years to come. So the teams that did ha- have managed to play so far are, are in a lot better shape than the ones that either had to cancel their seasons or are still waiting to play. And that's the hardest part is that there are so many prospects, especially, you know, this being a Habs-centric podcast. Sean Farrell was supposed to go play at Harvard. You know, you had uh, Luke Tuck. You have Jordan Harrison, Jaden Struble at Northeastern. All these players are now waiting to play. Farrell's obviously back in Chicago in the USHL. But the other three are just kind of sitting there waiting. And if you're a Habs fan, you you got to be champing at the bit here. Like, you want to watch these guys play, especially Tuck, who's brand new to the system. You want to see them and see what they can do. And with the way things are now, which out of an abundance of caution, which is a good thing, it's not there yet. It, it's such a weird year to be a prospect in any league, really, like with so many going on pause until cases go down or starting late or not starting at all. It, it can't be easy. There's adjustments and then there's, you know, whatever's going on this year. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like we're looking the WHL and the, the OHL still on pause until January. And we're, we're hoping that that works out. The QMJHL tried their hardest, almost got through it. And it, you know, ended up having to basically pause their own season and, and push it back. And, and you're right in terms of how this impacts prospects. I mean, there are, there are positives and negatives. Obviously the negatives is you, the lack of game reps, the lack of us being able to see them. The benefit, however, 
especially for the guys that are at college that are in these controlled environments through universities that have stricter protocols in place that have top of the line workout, you know, gyms and, and, and weight training facilities and that they are able to skate and they are able to skate in an environment that is controlled. That is a huge benefit because that is not the case for everybody. There are definitely players that play in the OHL and WHL that are on their own. I mean, I just saw uh, a great story in the Buffalo news about how Dylan cousins was essentially, you know, all the rinks were closed in, in Whitehorse and he's, you know, flipping tires and stuff and just trying to get better. So there's more time for weight training. There's more time for skill training. Um, and that's something that some of the guys from the university of Michigan I talked to, they basically had a month full of practice and they're like, you know, instead of working on systems and things like that, we're working on skill development. We're working on read and react. We're working on battle, like all those different things. So there, there are some benefits, but you can't replace live game action. And obviously as fans, we want to see that too. So I guess here's another question. And it's, it's, it's in the context of what we were just talking about. It sounds a little bit like there's really no way to tell, but one of our listeners, Randy Hansen had a question that I think for different reasons this year, like it has different connotations. So his actual question is what's a dark horse team to come out of the NCAA. And like, I guess the, the framing of the question would be the unspoken framing is uh, based on play or based on the fact that they actually complete a season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that's really what it comes down to. I, I mean, coming into the season, my dark horse for a team that, you know, was going to challenge some of the best teams in, in the NCAA was uh, Quinnipiac and they have yet to play, you know, and they're in the ECAC where they're trying to find a way to play games with four teams. And they're also trying to schedule games outside of their conference, which has been really difficult to do. Um, so if Quinnipiac is able to actually play and put a season together, that would be my team. And that, that's a team that doesn't have a ton of, of, of high-end draft picks, but they have, you know, they did have Ty Smolanik, who was drafted this year in the third round, um, and is one of the more hyped prospects to come to that program. But they, they have a veteran team. They have a drafted goalie in Keith Petrozelli, who really broke out last season as a junior. Um, they have Odin Tufto, who's one of the top scorers in, in college hockey over the last three years. And, and you know, uh, uh, an undersized guy that I think, you know, just continually puts up numbers. And he, he's he's been one of the more exciting players to watch in the country. Um, but, you know, that's, again, it comes down to can they finish the season? And, you know, I think that if we're going to see a champion, the way that I'm watching the, the NCHC so far, they, that's a really good conference. I mean, North Dakota is not going to sneak up on anybody there. I think, you know, pound for pound, the best team in the country, um, you know, Boston college, same type of thing. Um, but then there's all these other teams that we haven't seen uh, yet. And, you know, I, I think Providence was a team. They, they didn't score a goal all weekend against uh, Boston college. And that was a team where I was like, Hey, this is a team that could sneak up on some people, even though they had, they had some key losses from last year. Um, so yeah, so my, my pick, if they can ever end up playing games is Quinnipiac, because I think they're, you know, one of the more veteran complete teams with the goaltending, with the scoring, with solid defensemen that could potentially do some damage if, if they get going. We have a couple more listener questions and we're going to turn our attention to the world juniors potentially coming up (laughs) and that's coming up in our final segment. Today, we are here with Chris Peters, writer for ESPN, and also an expert on prospects. Like, I started reading your work when you were doing the United States of Hockey blog, and I just remember at the time, because I was so immersed in, like, you know, in Habs hockey, and and, and the World Juniors are a huge deal in Canada and all of that, 
I remember just like there wasn't that much information out there. And like if you wanted to know anything, you literally had to look up your site. Like you were one of the only people that had a focus on non-NHL US hockey. And I learned so much from you. And I think, you know, that's that's kind of one of the the really cool things is that like, you know, we've both been around for quite a while. We won't say how long. Uh, <laughs> nobody needs to know how old we are, but you know, it's kind of like the evolution is that like, you know, you, it's expanded what you bring. And I think that like the reason that we were so excited to have you on right now is that the world juniors are coming up. They are a big deal in Canada as we've, you know, we've spoken about at length, uh, and, and we're hoping it happens. So assuming it happens, let's assume for the sake of this conversation that they are, they are going to have, they're, they will have enough teams. They will have enough players on the teams to actually hold a tournament. My first question is this. Like, what teams do you think people should watch for if they're looking for exciting hockey to watch? I, I mean, I think this year in particular, I'm super, super excited to see Russia. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One, obviously the talent of the players and they've got Vasily Podkols and, you know, they've got, they've got a, a talented group of Yaroslav Askarov, of course. You know, they've got guys like Barak Kuznutdinov and, and see Yegor Chinakov, Chinakov, who, who was, you know, the surprise first round pick. Uh, you know, and, and sh- uh, another kind of surprising first round pick, Shakir Muhammadulin, who has been awesome, um, in the, in the KHL so far this year. But the real thing that I'm, I'm, I'm most excited about is that they're coached by Igor Larionov. And, and this is a, you know, they've been coached by Valerie Bragan for years and years and years. Bragan goes and, and now he's the coach in St. Petersburg. And Larionov was an assistant last year and they take, and, and now he's taking over. And, and what we know about Larionov is he likes to let his players play. He likes them to be creative. He likes them to be skilled. And so, you know, he wants them to push the pace offensively. He wants them to play with speed. He wants them to, you, you know, pass and, and, and make plays. And, and Bragan was so much more conservative and, and, and to his credit, it led to a lot of medals, not many of them gold, but a lot of medals at the world juniors for Russia, because they were so solid defensively that you would usually have good goaltending. And then they obviously had the weapons up front to make you pay when you make mistakes. So I think that we're going to see a much more wide open version of Russian hockey, which is what I like and prefer. And it's more fun to watch. And then you obviously have Askarov in net to, you know, be the guy that is supposed to clean up any and all messes uh, that could potentially be left. But, you know, obviously key losses from, you know, guys that, that had such great tournaments last year, including uh, Romanov, obviously. But they, they this group went to the Karhala Cup in Finland and won the tournament as a U-20 team. And the, the Finns were were offended, literally offended, that they would send a U-20 team to this tournament and they won the tournament. They beat every team there. Um, and, and, and all those other teams had pro players on them. They had, you know, senior team players, guys that'll play in the world championship if we have a world championship. So that was really exciting. So, so, so again, it, it, you know, it's, it's a long winded answer when I could have just said Russia. It, it's Russia in that Russia is always that fun team to me is that like, there's either like they're unstoppable monsters or they're exciting to watch, but they continue to fall apart at like the worst possible time due to some nonsense, but they're must watch hockey every single tournament. Like we know Canada's good. We know Sweden and Finland are always going to be talented or scrappy. And like the US team is every year or something different, but Russia is always that team that like 
even if they're not the favorites that year, you still tune in to watch because you know you're going to get something out of that game one way or the other. Yeah, it, it, you know, and, and really over the years, it's the thing that has always struck me the most about Russia. They are never, ever out of any game. You could score four on them and, and right away and they'll, they'll find a way to score five. Like it's just, it's, it's just unbelievable how that team has come together and really the, the amount of medals that they won under Valerie Bragan and, you know, just the, the, the standard that's been set there. I'm just super excited to see what Larianov does with it. You mentioned Alexander Romanov, and for our listeners, if you follow the Habs on social media, you will know that he has arrived in Montreal and is presumably completing his quarantine, um, <laughs> and we're very excited about that. But it kind of brings to mind something that uh, Patrick Bexell, a former guest, said to us, and he's obviously the Habs Eyes on the Prize um, uh, European prospects expert, is that he mentioned that for a lot of teams in the NHL, Russia's not that heavily scouted. Would you kind of agree with that opinion? Because I do personally, and this is personal bias, obviously, and it might be confirmation bias, is that I feel like we don't really get a taste of what's out there and what's possible in the way that we do with some of the other European leagues. Like, we're able to kind of uh, know what's going on there. And it seems like all of these young players that are extremely talented, like, suddenly burst on the scene during the World Juniors, and that's our first exposure to them. But so would you say that maybe like North American professional teams don't heavily scout in Russia? Like, is that, is that uh, an accurate perception? Um, I'm not really sure. Like, I mean, it depends. I, I think that the amount of resources that are put into Russia are certainly not as, as expansive as what you might see put into Finland and Sweden. I think most teams have a Finland or Sweden based scout or both. They have European based scouts and then they have their crossover scouts and scouting directors and assistant general managers and whoever else that will, will go over and, and get another set of eyes on players that have been previously identified. Um, you know, most teams have a Russian scout now. Not all of them are full time scouts. So that's, you know, the, the, the breadth of, of reporting that they can do back to the teams is a little bit limited in that regard. I think that one of the things that is important to remember about Russia is it's not just that it's, it's different and, you know, the league is, the leagues, they have the various levels, the MHL, the VHL, obviously the KHL, but it's a really difficult place logistically to get around, you know, like to go see players, you know, so you, you look at there, there are certain guys that, that'll play um, you know, in Siberia, essentially. And, and the, the play, the teams that they're playing against in the MHL are not as good as the teams that are playing in Moscow or near Moscow and St. Petersburg. So you're, you've got, you've got kind of two different worlds in terms of junior hockey. So it, so it's basically, you know, those players are getting seen and we've seen plenty of Russians get drafted. It's not a, you know, but it's still, I, I just think that it's very difficult to put in the resources necessary to find those players when the return on investment is always filled with risk. And it's not just the, the, you know, the top players, there's not much of a Russian factor anymore where there's a risk. I, I think teams like, you know, have, have kind of avoided that. Like it's, it's not, it's not really a thing anymore. Um, but it is something that they have to keep in the back of their mind just because, you know, players, those middle of the road players that you might find in the later rounds, Guys that you're, you're not sure about, but you think there's something there. Those guys take a little bit longer and more investment. And, and, and you're also like, I don't know if I'll get that player. Like, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks have been trying to get Max Shalinov to come over for years and years and years and may never get him. And, and so, you know, but that, that hasn't prevented them from continuing to draft Russian players. So 
I still think that that most teams put in, you know, enough, and, and then you know they they if they if they miss guys, they they eventually come around to them, and and we'll find them later on. I've got a couple more questions from our listeners that are kind of related. The first is obviously you mentioned Ask Ascaro, uh, and our listener Randy Hansen wants to know after that who are a couple of goalies that we should be watching for. Number one is Spencer Knight from the U.S. Um, I, you know, I think that he's the second best goalie in the tournament, um, and it's not a significant gap between him and Askarov. Um, he had back-to-back shutouts in his last two starts against uh, against Providence, which is a team that has quite a bit of offensive firepower, um, and you know had had put a lot of shots on goal. But you know, he's coming in. He, he threw four starts, has a 9.55 save percentage. He's probably the best puck handling, goaltending prospect. Um, I've seen it a long time, which, you know, only matters a little bit, but it come, when it comes to stopping the puck, hockey sense, I mean, he's one of the most intuitive goalies I've, I've been around and just the, the, the way that he thinks the game is so impressive. So I'd say Spencer Knight and, and really like you look at what the U.S. is dealing with right here. They're going to, their backup goaltender is the CH gold, CHL goalie of the year in Dustin Wolf, you know, from the Everett Silvertips, who is, uh, you know, an average size. He's, he's, he's a below average size goalie. Um, you know, when we're talking about goalie size, but he's got incredible footwork. You know, he's just so sharp. So, I mean, he could very well be the third best goalie, you know, in terms of the, in this tournament. But if we're talking about prospects in particular and pro prospects, I think Jesper Wallstedt, who is, is draft eligible this season, uh, for Sweden, he is going to be in a goaltending battle with Hugo Alnefelt, uh, for, for a chance to be Sweden starter. I think they'll probably use both guys. Wallstedt, has been phenomenal in this SHL. He's the youngest goalie to, to have played as many games, I believe, as, as he has so far this season, um, in the SHL. So that's a, you know, that Sweden is going to need both of their goaltenders a lot, especially since they're starting to lose. They've lost two of their top forwards already because of COVID protocols and lost the defenseman, uh, because of COVID protocols. So like they're, they're going to need goaltending in this tournament. And I think that those are the guys to watch, but I mean, really across the board, um, you know, we've got a really good crop of goalies, uh, in these last few years. And, and it, obviously it's a scar of at the top, but you got Knight, you got Wolf, you got Wallstead, all in the felt's been really good. Um, you know, and, and others as well. I, I think that that's, those, those are the guys you need to keep an eye on. And aside from the players you've mentioned, so Matt from a winning habit asks, who are some underrated players that we should be looking out for at the Worlds? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, we got to see who all makes teams and who all is going to be available. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think I think one of the guys that, that I'm interested to see um, that, that Canadian fans, this is, you know, it's not for Montreal Canadiens fans, but Canada, the country, uh, Alex Newhook, who shouldn't really be underrated, but he played at Boston College, didn't make the team last year. I thought he was the best player in all of college hockey in the second half of last season. Certainly the most productive. Um, highly skilled. You know, he's, he's, he's a, a Newfoundlander. I think, right? Yeah, am I right? Or is he from Nova Scotia? He's from Nova Scotia. Geez, I'm, I'm just, I'm doing all sorts of bad things to, to Canada right now. Sorry about that. But, <laughs> um, see, I apologize. That's, that's a little Canadian there, but that's good. Um, so yeah, but I think that he's one of the guys that that you know uh, that Canadian fans may not have, be as familiar with just because he played in the BCHL, he played in like smaller tournaments, um, and now he has an opportunity on a big stage. So I think that's a guy to be aware of. Um, unfortunately, I thought the guy that I was gonna you know impress everybody with and say, well, look at this guy is, is if you're following the draft, you probably know the name William Eklund, and unfortunately, he was one of the Swedish players that 
was dropped out of the tournament um, because of uh, COVID protocols. And he's been phenomenal this year and, and playing on the same line as Alexander Holtz. So, uh, you know, that's, that's too bad. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, uh, on the U S team too, you know, there's, there's some really interesting players. Uh, you know, I think Tyler Clevin who just got added to their camp. Uh, I've watched his first three games at the university of North Dakota and I think he's one of those players that took advantage of the time off. He's not a highly offensive defenseman. He's not really the kind of guy that's going to put up a lot of points, but he does have a goal. He scored a beautiful goal yesterday. He has a bomb of a shot. I think he's starting to kind of put things together. Um, he is a physical presence as well. So he's kind of got that, you know, so it's like, so this guy's going to go off of the team, essentially, uh, you know, not invited to camp to potentially playing not maybe not significant minutes, but a substantial enough role where he's going to make an impact in games for Team USA. So that's a guy where he's kind of coming out of left field. You know, he's, he's you know, second-round draft pick and, and, and a really talented player, uh, but he's not your prototypical defenseman that you're seeing in the NHL now where he's highly mobile, highly, you know, great puck skills. He, he, he's kind of average in those, those regards, but he's an excellent defender, and he's a guy that I think the U.S. are going to have to use in, in matchups, especially since they lost Alex Velasic, who is essentially the guy that he's replacing uh, who's similar in size and, and physicality. I'm looking at the U.S. roster right now, and obviously lost a few, and cause some of the names that stick out to me, I look at someone like uh, Brock Faber and, you know, Thomas Bordalo, players I liked for the Canadians in the draft and watching how well they played this year. This feels like a tournament to really showcase their skills. Faber's really, you know, mobile, and Bordalo has, you know, fantastic vision and playmaking abilities. It feels like there's a lot there that can help kind of propel Team USA to rebound after last year and get back into that uh, metal picture with players like that and just fitting into the depth of their roster overall. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Scott. I mean, like guys like Faber, who, who again, another guy that didn't have a lot of points, but, you know, he's playing a really substantial role at Minnesota already and, it, and has done great. Bordalo, as you mentioned, I think he's been one of the most entertaining players to watch in college hockey so far this season. He just has a tremendous hands and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the U.S. roster has five players from the University of Michigan on it um, right now. And I, I don't see a case for really any one of them being cut. So that's going to be an interesting thing where you've got, you know, Brendan Bersan and Matty Beneers, who's a draft eligible this year. That, that I, is another guy that I could have mentioned as an underrated guy that I think a lot of people are going to get an eyeful in this tournament and really, really like. Um, and, and then, you know, you've got Johnny Beecher and Cam York, who will be a substantial defenseman for the team. Um, yeah, I mean, so there are so many really good players, I think, that the U.S. were able to bring in. The issue is, is I, I think Russia and, and Canada are going to be real tough, and they're going to be tough to beat. They're gonna, and those are the teams that are standing in your way, but, you know, to a gold medal. Um, but I really do, I, I cannot wait to see how they match up, because I think the U.S. forward group is as dynamic and, and exciting in terms of from a goal-scoring perspective as I've seen in, in years, and then, you know, their defense is okay, but then you've got Spencer Knight as the guy backing all up. So the really the, the pieces are in place. It's just a matter of getting everybody to the, getting everybody to the bubble in Edmonton. And, and, and I think we, you know, Canada, Russia, and the U.S. are, you know, for me, the top three teams. Sweden's kind of hanging on the perimeter there, and then Finland a little bit further back. But, you know, I, I think that there, there's a lot to, to look forward to. Germany as well, you know, they've got all their, their stars, apparently, including Tim Stutzlow will be available. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to see 
this, you know, conglomeration of talent playing in what could be the, the, you know, the only high level hockey we have for a little bit here. And so time, honestly, we're, we're way past time, but I could keep listening to this forever because <laughs> I all of a sudden feel so much better equipped to watch because normally as, as a, as a NHL and, and Canadians fan, right? Like I'm so taken up with like, all the NHL hockey going on that when the world juniors comes on, that's usually like my first inkling or exposure to a lot of players. But now I feel like I kind of have a base for things to look out for and, 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 and watch. And I feel like a much more informed hockey fan. So thank you so much for your time, Chris, where can people find you and your work? Uh, well, for, for until February, <laughs> ESPN.com, <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll be there. Yep. And I, I was, uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know where I'll be after that, but I, I certainly, you can get me on Twitter as well at Chris M Peters. And, and before I go, uh, Cole Caulfield, really good. So uh, <laughs> it's okay. Be, so be, everyone can calm down. Yeah. Everyone calm down. I mean, I, I've, I've watched every game he's played so far this season and there have been bright spots and low points, but the fact remains, he's still a dynamic offensive player that's super fun for me to watch, and I'm sure Habs fans can't wait to uh, uh, get him in Montreal, and, and he'll he'll entertain there next. And there you go. Chris said it, so it is true. And like <laughs> he said, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Matla. You will find me at The Active Stick. Please follow the podcast at LO underscore Canadians and tweet us questions, opinions, observations. You can also email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you on Friday.